Subscribe to The Spectator magazine this Christmas and get the next 12 issues in print and online for just £12. Not only that, but you'll also receive a bottle of Tattinger Champagne worth £42 to see you through to the new year. Join the party today at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash celebrate. Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damien Thompson. And let me warn you right away, if you're expecting a feel-good Christmas issue of Holy Smoke, replete with Christmas cheer, then stop listening. And if you're thinking, oh God, Damien, now isn't the time to lament the destruction of the Catholic Church by the Bergoglio pontificate, then, again, probably best to switch off. I'm sure all of you know that this year the Vatican has mounted a Cromwellian campaign against the celebration of the traditional Latin Mass on the instructions of Pope Francis himself. The badly drafted and venomous document in which this campaign was launched, Traditionis Custodes, was so dripping with malice that even bishops unsympathetic to the Tridentine Rite have chosen to do as little as possible to implement it. In response, this Advent season, the Pope has decided to tighten the screws. Archbishop Arthur Roach, who heads the Congregation for Divine Worship, and who, God help us, is now the most influential Englishman in the Vatican for centuries, has issued a clarification of Traditionis Custodis, in which he says that bishops may only permit the celebration of the traditional Mass in their parishes if no other building is available, and wait for it, those masses mustn't be advertised in the parish newsletter. Now, I've been following the career of this self-important Yorkshireman since before he was bishop. My Daily Telegraph blog, Holy Smoke, spent quite a lot of time drawing attention to Roach's self-aggrandizing style as Bishop of Leeds, and also his obsessive attempts to thwart the implementation of Samorum Pontificum, the visionary document by Benedict XVI, that removed most of the restrictions on priests who wanted to celebrate the ancient Latin Mass. I remember my absolute terror at the prospect that Arthur Roach might succeed Cormac Murphy O'Connor as Archbishop of Westminster. I was so relieved when Vincent Nichols got the job, little dreaming that Roach would find himself Prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship, and will almost certainly be created a Cardinal by Pope Francis in the next consistory. But at this point, I have to stop talking about Arthur Roach, because he's an Englishman, he understands English libel law, and if I were to explain why he is my least favourite bishop in the entire Catholic Church, then I think I'd find myself landed with a lawsuit. But make no mistake about it, this clarification of Traditionis Custodes is a terrible thing. Let me quote instead Dr. Ed Condon, a frequent guest on this podcast, who edits The Pillar, for my money, easily the best English-language source of Catholic news and analysis. In an article published on December the 20th, Ed wrote, As a general principle of pastoral governance, it is diocesan bishops who know their clergy best, as spiritual fathers, and are best placed to judge both their spiritual needs and their individual suitability for different kinds of ministry, Some bishops may well read the new requirement as an intrusion, not just into the governance of their local churches, but into their paternal relationship with their own clergy. He continued, 
Some bishops have already told the pillar this would seem to undercut the bedrock principles of pastoral proximity and episcopal discernment, which were so central to Vatican II. At the practical level, the ruling may be seen to be a recipe for discrimination. On the whole, it remains to be seen how bishops will welcome an order from Archbishop Roche to effectively bring conflict to their own diocese, especially when many have worked hard to avoid it. Even bishops who are either uninterested in or even reflexively unsympathetic to the extraordinary form may resent being told what is or isn't a legitimate pastoral need among their own flock. Some may intend to remind Archbishop Roche that they are, in the spirit of Vatican II, shepherds of their flocks and not his local branch managers. Now, it seems to me, from what Ed wrote, and remember that he's an experienced canon lawyer, that you could build a case against Roach's mean-spirited and authoritarian clarification of traditionis custodis in canon law. But as the parish priest of one church where both forms of the Roman writer celebrated told me just yesterday, look, it's the Wild West out there. What use is canon law when the Pope is so happy to overrule it or ignore it? And that's a fair point, because we live in strange times in which hardly a day passes without the 85-year-old pontiff giving interviews or extempore sermons which are, to put it politely, hard to reconcile with what we thought was the settled teaching of the Catholic Church. But then, everything about this pontificate is strange and unsettling. I could mention, and indeed often have, the string of sex abuse cases in which Pope Francis appears to have deliberately stood in the way of those seeking justice, something that would have been impossible if so many members of the Vatican Press Corps weren't apparently determined to squash any stories that reflect badly on their beloved liberal Pope. A Pope whose former Chief of Staff, Cardinal Angelo Becciu, has been charged along with nine other defendants with crimes including extortion, embezzlement, money laundering and abuse of office. He denies the charges, and indeed has been hinting that he wants to implicate the Pope himself in this extraordinary network of scandals. But none of these scandals, it seems to me, is as shameful as the deal signed by the Vatican, with the full consent of Pope Francis, that will force loyal Catholics to attend Masses that are not really Christian at all, in the sense that they deify, or at least subordinate, God to the Chinese Communist Party and its leader. Just think about it. These Catholics are being forced to attend a syncretistic parody of the Mass, while elsewhere in the world Archbishop Arthur Roach threatens to come down like a ton of bricks on parish priests who dare to advertise the ancient form of the Roman Rite in their parish bulletins. Now, you might describe this as the Wild West, or, alternatively, a sort of horror movie. Return of the Living Dead, perhaps, in which the fathers of the Second Vatican Council are reincarnated as dead-eyed zombies clutching a horrific, grinning wooden statue called the Pacamama, before which senior cardinals and the Pope himself groveled at a Vatican Synod a few years ago, apparently under the mistaken belief that this hideous object was an authentic expression of Amazonian Christian spirituality. The Vatican has no problem with that, but priests who schedule the Mass celebrated by St. Ignatius Loyola, St. Maximilian Kolbe, the Curie of Ars, can expect to have their collars felt by Arthur Roach. I despair, to which some of you will respond, fair enough, 
Damien, you're always despairing. We know what you think. But my point is this. That despair is now spreading faster than the latest strain of the coronavirus. I'm used to hearing traditionalist priests say rude things about the Pope. But what I never thought I'd read are messages from non-traditionalist, mildly conservative, basically orthodox priests, wondering how they can possibly stay loyal to a Pope whose attitude towards the catechism of the Catholic Church seems to be, oh yeah, I've got a copy of that somewhere. It's full of rigid hypocrisies. They can't get their heads around the idea that the Pope, the Vicar of Christ, as curiously he no longer calls himself, flatly refuses to discuss allegations that he personally protected suspected child abusers, while at the same time throwing under the bus clergy whose sins seem mild in comparison. For example, on December the 2nd, Archbishop Michel Opetit of Paris announced his resignation, which had been accepted by the Pope, because more than a decade earlier he'd had an inappropriate but non-physical relationship with a woman. Then, a few days later, Pope Francis, coming back from Cyprus, gave one of his increasingly peculiar in-flight press conferences. Let me quote from J.D. Flynn's analysis in the pillar. On his flight Monday, Pope Francis offered some details about the relationship, saying the Archbishop had allegedly caressed and massaged his secretary while he was still a priest. But the Pope also said he didn't accept Opity's resignation because of what the Archbishop did, but because of how people talked about it. Pope Francis said that because of gossip of the people responsible for reporting things, a man has lost his reputation to the point he cannot govern. This is an injustice, Pope Francis said. That's why I accepted the resignation of Opity, not on altar of truth, but on the altar of hypocrisy. Now, let that sink in for a minute. Francis appeared to be saying that he'd committed an injustice in accepting the Archbishop's resignation, in order to placate hypocritical gossips. Yet this is the same Pope who, confronted by really serious allegations about some of his closest aides, didn't accept their resignation. So who's the hypocrite here? But there's more. In discussing the case, Francis accused Opity of massaging this woman, who wasn't his secretary. What actually happened was that Opity, who is an experienced medical doctor, had given a back rub to his secretary, a completely different woman, just in order to ease her back pain, nothing sexual at all. In other words, Francis had accepted Opity's resignation on the basis of a complete and unforgivable misunderstanding of what's supposed to have happened. And then, just to make matters worse, the Vatican's mendacious and incompetent press office removed the word massage from the transcript of the Pope's widely reported comments, which he didn't deny making. Economy with the truth is one of the leitmotifs of the Bergoglio pontificate, not just of his staff, but of the man himself. And this really matters, because the brutal decision to suppress the Latin Mass was taken on the basis of a survey of bishops, which has never been published, and the claim that the bishop surveyed wanted the old right severely restricted is being treated with extreme scepticism, shall we say. There have even been reports that most of the bishops didn't want anything of the sort. And that leaves me wondering on which particular altar these poor traditional Catholics were sacrificed. Hypocrisy? Vengeance? Francis is a Peronist, so it could easily be both. You might think it would be difficult to find a senior curial official prepared to draw up Traditionis Custodis on the basis of such dodgy evidence. 
and draw it up so badly, and then twist the knife a few months down the line. Step forward, Arthur Roach, whose outrageous but rather characteristic bullying of bishops in an era of supposed synodality adds yet another layer of hypocrisy to this dreadful story, the implications of which go far beyond the gross betrayal of traditional Catholics. I'd like to think, and so would many other people, that the next Pope, whether he's conservative, liberal, or somewhere in between, will tear up Judicianus Custodes as soon as he's appointed. And if he were to sack Arthur Roach before even leaving the balcony of St. Peter's, it wouldn't go down too badly. And all of this is happening, of course, just before a Christmas at which attendance at midnight mass is likely to be, yet again, very severely depleted thanks to the resurgence of Covid. The combination of demographic secularisation and a devastating virus would leave the Catholic Church in a very fragile state, whoever was Pope. It cannot possibly survive as a healthy institution in the Begolian Wild West, where some of the most unscrupulous outlaws are fat old men squeezed into soutans. Ah, say the optimists, but the Pope has recently closed various loopholes that will make it impossible for Betru-style corruption to flourish again. Well, I very much doubt that. But there have been some reforms, every single one of them essentially forced on the Vatican in order to protect what remains of its credit rating before the desperate scale of its pensions crisis becomes known. To put it another way, while Arthur Roach and various liberal snitches are busy hunting down parishes that dare to celebrate the ancient liturgy, the whole institutional structure of the Vatican is on the verge of collapse. As they prepare to celebrate Christmas, most Catholics, and perhaps even most priests, are unaware of the scale of the problem. And that's quite simply because, for one reason or another, it goes unreported. But once you know the facts, you have to ask yourself, could this be one of the last Christmases in which the Vatican exists in its present form? And if it ceases to exist, is that such a bad thing?